halfway in the middle, um, but we do need to crack on. Um, this morning I'm going to be speaking from 1 Peter. Um, it's a small book towards the end of the Bible, uh, somewhere after Hebrews, somewhere before Revelation. Um, I would just say before we begin, uh, do, do keep Stefan Davina in your prayers. Um, you know, they, Steph's put in a lot of time and work into the church and while they're away we just really want them to be blessed we want them to come back refreshed we want them to come back relaxed we want the kids to be full of energy you know, um, we really want them to have had a nice relaxing break where they can just take time out okay, so 1 Peter, chapter 2 Peter was one of Jesus' closest uh, friends um, throughout Jesus' life Peter, along with James and John was often taken alongside um, and kind of given some sort of... They, they had a special relationship. He had a special relationship, a bond with Jesus. Um, he's writing here to the church, the early church that had been scattered um, throughout the known world at that time. Um, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, stood up and 3,000 people uh, turned and believed in Jesus. And Peter's really writing to those people, the persecution has come on the church, the church has been scattered, and he's writing to them. Um, he's writing, uh, as we'll see from this particular passage, um, specifically about their relationships. How do, they, how do they cope amidst this persecution, amidst the oppression that's on them? How do they as a church cope? How do they relate to one another? Um, how can we relate to this? Well, I, I put it to you that actually the greatest, the greatest need in the church is for strong relationships. For strong relationships with one another, with Jesus our creator, we need, we need to have relationships of depth, relationships whereby we can trust one another implicitly, because as, you know, I'm sure as we grow, we won't be able to see our friends as much. We'll have to trust them, you know, as we grow, as God adds to us, in light of that prophecy that David Stroud brought about a harvest coming, we're going to need to have deep, strong relationships. So let's look at 1 Peter, chapter 2. Before we begin, I'll just, I'll, I'll just pray before uh, we read the word. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, we just pray that you would be here by your spirit. Lord, we, I just pray, Lord, that you would come upon me, Lord, that I would, Lord, that I would speak what you want to say, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray I wouldn't go out of the, the, the boundaries, Lord, of what you've given me to say, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, you would uh, be here by your spirit, Lord. And uh, Lord, those receiving it, Lord, I pray you would give them ears to hear. Lord Jesus, I pray they would receive it. Lord, I pray would it be like a seed, Lord, that goes into their heart, Jesus, and dies and bears fruit, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray would it be something that uh, bears fruit in their life, Jesus. I just pray, Lord, would you come, Lord, would you speak this morning, Lord. I pray would you do uh, your work, Lord Jesus. I pray would your name be lifted high and glorified as we look at this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Peter 2, verses 1 to 8. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So let's begin here at verse 1. Peter's, Peter's writing, and we, we, we're joining him halfway through uh, a point that he's making. And to, to understand the full point, we need to look back into chapter 1 at verse 22. Uh, he, starts, he starts this passage with, So, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Why is he telling us to put these things off? Well, if we look back in chapter 1 at verse 22, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then he digresses into their salvation. And, um, and immediately we can notice from this verse that he's talking about their relationships with other believers. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Immediately he's talking about their relationships. And what's he saying? What's he saying in this verse 1? As we skip forward, some of you I expect haven't been here for kind of some of the uh, previous sessions, um, but he's talking about their salvation as Christians. How do they live under this persecution scattered throughout the world? And so we join him here. He says, so put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. What's, what's Peter actually saying? He's saying these things that we're to put away, these things that we're to take off, are the very things that hinder our relationships other things that hinder us getting closer to one another, getting closer to Jesus, building as a church. Let me give you an illustration of this. Um, that, 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 the verb there for to put away, uh, so put away, is much more, it's, it's a much stronger word than that. It's much more, it means much more to transform, to be changed. To, so, so he's saying that you know, there's a change that takes place, there's a transformation. He's saying, you know, be cleansed of these things, put them away. You know, and so I'd like to follow that illustration a little bit more. Um, suppose, for instance, there's a little boy, he's been playing out in the garden. We'll call him Jimmy for the sake of argument. Jimmy's out in the garden playing with the mud, um, and his father calls him in for dinner. He says, Jimmy, Jimmy, time for dinner. In comes little Jimmy. I don't know, he's been eating worms, making mud pies, whatever little boys do. I did it once, so. <laughs> anyway, Jimmy comes in, covered in mud, his hands just dirty, just covered in mud all over the place. And the first thing his father says is, before you can sit up to dinner, you need to go and wash your hands. So what does he do? Off he trots to the bathroom, on goes the soap, under the tap, rinses his hands, comes back, hands are clean, ready for dinner. Now, what's happened there? What's happened there? Little Jimmy's gone away to the bathroom, he's applied some soap, he's washed his hands, and he's been cleansed. As Christians, what do we need to do? We need to run to, run to the bathroom, we need to apply Jesus to the situation, to these very characteristics, we need to apply Jesus to them. We need to be washed so that we can come back cleansed. See, it's only when we apply Jesus to the situation can we be cleansed. You see, for instance, if little Jimmy had gone away to the bathroom, forgotten the soap, forgotten the water, just stood there over the sink and rubbed his hands, he'd come back with just, well, it would have been a mess. You see, it's only when he applies the soap. It's only when he applies Jesus. And so these characteristics that, that, are so, that, that can be so divisive within the church, so destructive, it's only when we apply Jesus and he cleanses us, he comes and he, he changes us. So, why do we need to put these things away? 
Why do we need to put them away? All malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Why do we need to put them away? Why do we need to get rid of them? Obviously, because <laughs> reading them, they do all appear fairly malicious, fairly uh, destructive in and of themselves. Um, and I'd just like to say, I, I think there's two reasons that Peter reassures us that we need to take these things off. I think one, because actually ultimately it will consume us. It will, it will effectively become, it won't just be kind of an attitude that we have. If, if we abide by it, it'll become a characteristic. It'll become something within us. It'll become a trait in our personality. And actually, so instead of just, you know, being malicious once or twice, you know, actually we'll, start, we'll begin to be repetitively malicious. If we begin being deceitful with the small things, you know, as that grows, we'll become more and more deceitful. You know, so saying, be done with it, put it off, because ultimately it will consume you. And in the end, you know, you'll be wearing masks so that people don't realise just how hypocritical you are, just how envious you are. People, you'll, you'll be wearing masks. And actually, if we're to have deep relationships, surely that's based on honesty. Surely we need to let the mask come down. We need to be sincere with our brothers and sisters. We need to be open. We need to be honest. So what happens if, if for instance, in a certain case, there was uh, somebody else in the church who, who did perhaps ma- uh, display one of these characteristics towards you? Uh, what do you do? Well, we need to challenge them. And we ourselves need to be humble in how we deal with it. We need to apologise quickly. We need to be ready to say, yeah, okay, I was wrong, I'm sorry. You know, okay, yeah, I misled you, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, you know, like that, that was a little hypocritical what I did. I'm sorry. The quicker we turn and apologise, the quicker Jesus can come in and work, and the easier it will be to deal with. Once we build a problem up, it'll become harder and harder to deal with. Secondly, it will not only destroy you, but actually it will destroy the church. It will cause factions. It will, it will effectively r- rupture the church. It will cause divisions uh, and problems. Uh, Elsewhere in the Bible, it tells us not to devour one another. (laughs) That's a very strong language, but it's that kind of concept that's being uh, talked about here, that actually, as brothers and sisters, we're not to kind of be backbiting, we're not to be slanderous about one another. So, moving on. How do we live with other believers? In verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we've taken off these things, we've, taken, we've, we've turned away from them, we've taken them off, we've let Jesus deal with them, we've let Jesus deal with our heart. Um, and what do we do? Like newborn infants, we long for the pure spiritual milk. What does that mean? Is, is Peter calling them spiritual babes? Is he calling them immature? No, what he's saying is he's saying like newborn babies, like newborn infants. He's saying, look, come on, like, there's, there's more, there's more. He's saying, look, that, that zeal that you once had when you first believed, that, that almost zealous nature, that kind of fire within you that just seemed to burn, you know, he's saying that's how we're supposed to be. It's interesting. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think my, my version uh, does it justice. I think from the NIV... You know, it says, that we're to, it says that we're to crave pure spiritual milk. And there's something about craving that you, kind of, you can't get, get away from it. It's just kind of you crave it, you want it. You know, there's something that, that's so desirous about it that you crave it. You hunger after it. 
you know, um, and what is this spiritual milk that we're to hunger after? What, what is this spiritual milk? Well, uh, other translations of the Bible, um, the King James Version says that actually it's the milk of the word, and it actually puts that into the scripture. Um, it would even go so far as to say that it is the milk of the word. And I would, and I would, I would strongly, strongly recommend that you do crave after the word. You hunger after the word. Do long for it. Do crave for it. As you were, as when you first became Christians and you were confronted with the truth of Jesus, you craved it. You thought there's something about this. There's something inviting. Crave it. Let me illustrate this further. For instance, say there is uh, a baby sleeping. Um, A baby will wake for food. It will wake for food. Not many of us would wake for food, but then not many of us are still babies. You know, a baby craves food. It needs food to grow, to to become strong, to become strengthened, to become healthy. It needs food, and it will interrupt sleep. You know, it it will wake up in the middle of the night crying for milk. So this milk, the mother will come in and will we'll nurture the baby, will feed the baby, and the ba- what, what, what happens to this baby? Well, this baby will slowly become stronger, it will grow, it will become bigger and bigger until it eats solid food. You see, what Peter is saying is, he says, like that baby craves the mother's milk, that's how I want you to be. I want you to crave after God's work. If it wakes you in the middle of the night, brilliant. If it's always on your mind, if you, can't, if you can't get through a couple of hours without feeding, feed on the word. Get stuck into the word. And as that baby grows, it will set, it's, it will set itself a practice, whether, whether by the parents' uh, discipline or not. It will, it will end up eating three square meals a day. And that's from a very young age, I mean, you know, like a matter of years, right for the rest of its life. It will set in practice eating three square meals a day. And so there is that, that so, so in Peter admonishing us to, that we might grow up to salvation, he's saying, you know, get it, get, get it in early, you know, so that as you grow, it will become a practice. It will become something inside of you that, you know, you don't, the baby no longer necessarily craves a meal, but it knows that it needs to eat to survive. As a Christian, do we know that we need to eat to survive? Do we, do we know that we need to feed on the word? We need to let Jesus come and deal with us in order to grow. It says uh, in Hebrews, Hebrews 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the... That the Bible isn't just a book that was written 2,000 years ago. The Bible is the word of God. And if you read it, and if you believe it, it will change you. It will change you. There are, there are instructions on how, as Christians, we are to live. Even this morning, you know, we're looking at this, of, of, of how to live with brothers and sisters. You know, there's, even as you look at the relationships, you know, there's so much it can teach us, it can feed us. There's so much that can be got. There's so much meat in there. There's so much milk that we're to crave, that we're to go after, that we're to hunger after. Sorry. 
And then, and then following on from growing up into salvation, verse 3 is so beautiful. Let me read it again. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, it's almost a throwaway comment. It's, it's almost like, oh, you know, if, if you've tasted that the Lord is good. Well, what does Peter mean by that? Well, what he means by tasted is, is, is it's not so much food. When we taste food, you know, you think, oh, well, I might, I might taste that to see if I like it. I might taste it to see if, you know, try, I'll have a little try. I'll have a little play with it. I'll experiment with tasting that food. No, it's, it's much stronger than that. The same, the same word is used of Jesus when he tasted death. Jesus didn't just try death to see if he liked it. No, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus actually had an experience of death and then overcame it by his resurrection. See, it wasn't just a little kind of, you know, taste it. You know, it wasn't a little try. He wasn't experimenting with death. No, actually, he had an experience of it on the cross. And actually, he, he experienced death and then overcame it by his resurrection. So, so, so Jesus had an experience. Do we have an experience that the Lord is good? Do we have an experience that the Lord is good? I don't, I don't mean that, I don't mean by, by good, I don't mean that it's always pleasant, it's always nice, but I tell you what, it is good. It is good. And it can seem painful at times, but that, perhaps that's because he's developing our character. He's developing something in us. When I was younger, um, I was quite a footballer. I was. <laughs> no, I was, when I was younger, I was, I was really into football. And actually, every, 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 probably every week I would have thought, you know, I would always ask for a new football. I was always, Mum, Dad, can I have a new football? Can I have a new football? Can I have a new football? And why didn't they always give me one? Other than the fact that I would have ended up with hundreds and hundreds of footballs that I would never have been able to play with. But actually, you know, they, 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 they would just kind of almost see how much I wanted it. How much do I really want a new football? So I'd come back and they'd say, Mum, Dad, I really want a football. And they'd say, all right, well, come and ask me next week. You know, and I'd come back next week. Mum, Dad, I really want a new football. Well, well, maybe not this week. Perhaps come back next week. You know, and it was that coming back again and again that, 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 that demonstrated my hunger for a new... How much did I want a new football? And in the same way, how much do we want Jesus? How good is Jesus? How much do we want an experience of Jesus? Do we keep coming back? Do we persevere? Whatever we're going through, whether it's a family situation, relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, what it is that we're going through, do we persevere? Do we come back to Jesus time and time again and say, Jesus, I'm trying to deal with this thing, but I just can't seem to shake it. And do you come back? Do you come back? Or do you come and just once and say, oh, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. No, we've got to come back. We've got to come back time and time again. And so, moving on to verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected my man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. 
So what is the right way to, to build with brothers and sisters? What is the right way to build with other believers? What is the right way to build? Well, Peter tells us that we're to be built up into a spiritual house. That as living stones, we're being built into a spiritual house. Here at Revelation Church, we're being built into a spiritual house. That's a very vivid picture. Um, and actually in, his, in Ezekiel, uh, way back in the Old Testament, one of the prophets before Jesus uh, came to earth, um, in Ezekiel he's, he, he talks about a heart of stone being replaced with a heart of flesh. You see, now if we're living stones, there's something that's happened about us to make us alive. Stones don't naturally live. Stones are dead. <laughs> if you like, a stone has a heart of stone. See where I'm going with the illustration? But actually that heart of stone has been removed and we've been given a heart of flesh. And it says he's put his spirit within us. He's breathed his life into us. You see, we've been given that heart of flesh. And now, as living stones, there's certain things that happen. We begin to grow. You know, we're we're, we're no longer kind of inanimate, you know, people trying to get on with each other. Actually, we're living stones. We kind of, there's something about us that kind of gels with one another. You see, as stones, we grow. Now, often in this house, the spiritual house that, that God is building as living stones, we grow and there's certain things that actually might seem uncomfortable. So, for instance, if I'm, if, if, to use an illustration, if I'm a living stone and all of a sudden another stone comes in, inside of me but actually he's, he's a little bit pointy and, oh, you know, I can take a bit of a knock, <laughs> you know, but... But as a living stone, because I'm living, because I have Jesus' life inside of me, there is a capability for me to then kind of move, adjust myself, so that I'm more comfortable with the person who's next to me. So, for instance, if somebody, if somebody is, is serving in a particular gift, say, for instance, you are the most gifted creche leader in the church. You're, you're wonderful with the kids. In fact, you have, you have an amazing ability to kind of connect with them, draw them in. You know, there might be somebody else that comes in that actually might also be good at creche, which means all of a sudden you've got to share the responsibility. And, you know, sometimes it can feel a bit like a jab. You know, somebody's, oh, somebody's a little bit uncomfortable and you, you, you often, there's that kind of clashing that comes. But actually, you know, what he's saying is as living stones, you know, we have the ability to be built together as a house you know, so there's certain things that you might be able to change. Perhaps you only do creche, you know, I don't know, once in every two <laughs> instead of all the time. But there's that ability to kind of adjust and live with one another. And you see, within this house, there's, there's the cement, isn't there, around the bricks that holds the whole thing together. You know, and that cement is the love. The love that we have for one another. The love that we have for Jesus. You know, I want, I, want, I want what is best for my brothers and sisters. I want to love them. I want to serve them. Now, occasionally, that means getting out of the way. Perhaps somebody else has come in who's much better at, at kids' work, and you need to step out of the way. So, actually, this, you know, this is, this is, you're brilliant at this. You run with it. This is a principle that I like to call keeping the seat warm. You know, for instance, whenever we're, whenever we're, whatever we're doing, we're only ever keeping the seat warm for whoever's coming in next. We do our best, 
and we keep serving and we keep pressing on, but actually we're only keeping the seat warm because somebody that's coming after us will be able to take what we've done, the structure we've put in place, and they'll be able to take it even further. Perhaps they've got the vision for it. We're keeping the seat warm for whoever is around us. Now, there are two problems with being living stones. One, we stop growing and we become stagnant bricks. And actually, as stagnant bricks, we just end up sitting there. And people can't, people can't work with us, people can't, you know, they can't fit in around us because you're just, you're just kind of a lump. <laughs> you know, you're not living with, in communion with these other bricks around you. Actually, you're kind of, you're, you become a bit of a blockage, you know. Um, and actually, we need, to, we need to kind of break out of that. We need to be living. That's why we need to get into the Word, like Peter says. That's why we need to crave this pure spiritual milk, so that we're continually growing. You see, a second problem is that we can often show cracks. Maybe too much pressure has been placed on us. Perhaps too much, too much expectation has been placed on us, and, you know, we start to see these tiny little cracks. They're not noticeable at first, they're just tiny little cracks. But I tell you, those tiny little cracks... The people that are closest to you, those people, you know, whether you're a husband or wife, your spouse, or whether you're, um, you know, kind of in a ten, you know, those that you have closest relationships with, those tiny little cracks will start to begin to be demonstrated in those relationships around you. So, be like living stones. Grow. 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 Don't stay in the don't stand in the way of what God's doing. You know, there will be there will be times when some of us will have to be humble and we'll have to step back, and we'll say, actually, you're much better gifted at this than me. You know, and it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of humility, and it takes a lot of love to be able to say, no, you take it on, you run with it. And then verse five, he encourages us. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is this spiritual sacrifice? What is this spiritual sacrifice that we give? Well, yes, it is our humility. It is our heart. It is, it is our willingness to serve wherever we can. You know, if you're asked to put out the chairs, put out the chairs. You know, it's our willingness to serve. It's our giving our life to what God is building. It, it, it often takes our whole thing, and it's a humbling experience to give our lives to what God is building, to how he's building. Finally, I would just say, uh, Peter includes these passages of Scripture right at the end. And he's saying, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now it might be this, this morning that you've come to Revelation Church for the first time. I, don't, I might not have met you yet. Um, this might be your first time, but I don't know where you're at. But actually, Peter's saying there has to be a decision. This stone... This stone, Jesus, that has become the cornerstone, will you accept and build your life on it? Or will you reject it? And will it become a, a stumbling block to you? It become something offensive? I don't have to live with other people. I don't have to 
you know, order my lives. What, what is all of this about? You see, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him being the cornerstone. It's all about us building our life around him. You see, Jesus died for our sin. He overcame death. He was resurrected. You say, how, how, how much should I give back to him? Surely I should give all of it. If he gave his entire life for me, if he gave his very life for me that I could live, that I could be in communion with brothers and sisters, the church, surely I, surely I should respond. Surely there should be something in me that says, actually, you know, Jesus, you gave it all for me. I'm going to give it all to you. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, that last statement, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. What I'm saying is, don't, don't disobey. Don't, don't, hear, don't, don't hear what Peter is saying about uh, relationships, about building with one another and think, actually, you know what? The Holy Spirit through Peter wrote the scriptures, but actually I can do it my own way, thank you very much. I've got a much better idea. I've got a much better plan of how I'm going to build. Don't, don't disobey it. Don't, don't shy away from it. Be willing to serve. Be willing to get involved. You know? Just be willing to kind of... Billy Graham, Billy, Billy Graham, when he started his ministry, he used to have a lot of people come to him and say, oh, Billy Graham, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I... You know, what, what, what can I do to, you know, help you, like, release you in your ministry and things? And he said, you can start by putting out the chairs. And that's where it starts. Very practical. It's not very spiritual. It's very practical. And there's a lesson to be learned, you know, that as we diligently do the small things, God will entrust us with more and more and more. And Billy Graham understood the principle. So let's be willing to serve, however menial, however practical, however boring it might be. Let's be willing to serve. Let's be willing to get involved. Let's stand. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you're building Revelation Church. Lord, we thank you for this house, Lord, that you're building. Lord, we thank you that we are now living stones, Lord, that your Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. Lord, you've breathed your life into us. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we just pray, Lord Jesus, would you continue to build us? Lord, we pray, humble us if we need humbling. Lord Jesus, Lord, we pray, give us more responsibility, Lord, to take us further. Lord, to advance your kingdom. Lord, to build a house, Lord Jesus, to build a house, Lord, that is worthy of you. Lord, that honours your name, that lifts you high. Lord, that glorifies Jesus. Lord, build us into that house. Lord Jesus, keep us loving one another. Keep us loving one another. Keep us humble. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we have to say goodbye to friends as we grow. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, would, you, would, we, would we go, Lord? Would we have such trust in them. Lord, I pray we have such faith in them, Lord Jesus, that we could entrust them, Lord Jesus, and we could, Lord, we can almost release it to them. We can release them, Lord, in what you've called them to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm, I think let's just, uh, there's a lot in there, isn't there? A lot, a lot of-